Welcome back to another limited series. I'm Bartley, and I'm joined by Shellen again. And we are here for... So, people criticized that I, I came up with a, a title for a show, and it wasn't specific enough. That's what people said. They were like, I, I'm very confused <laughs> what this show is about. Sure. It's not quite... It just, it's too broad. So, I am here to present a new limited series called Ranking of Quests by Mechanics, not including theme, story, nor integration of theme or story into mechanics of the quest. Or if you need a short term, you can call it Rock Okay, very, it rolls right out the tongue. <laughs> very easy to remember. It should be very simple to uh, SEO will be really good for this one. I, I'm positive. And uh, I think people will now understand what this what this is about. Uh, this is the sequel to Ranking of Story, which, uh, yeah, I agree. It wasn't specific enough. So uh, <laughs> uh, for shorthand, we're just going to call this, I think, Ranking of Quest Mechanics. But that the official title is that really long title that I gave you. Um, we'll have him try to say it at the start of episode two and see how many of the words in the correct order you get uh, to, to see, if, you know. <laughs> I, I really struggled to read this uh, acronym I tried to create. I, I practiced it, and then I, I couldn't do it live. It was too hard. But that's There's enough cues <laughs> and consonants next to each other that's like Polish or something. I don't know. Yeah, it, it makes no sense at all. Okay. Yeah. It, um, so let's go over some rules here. So you, if people remember ranking of story, that was where we just basically talked about the story text of the uh, quests here. And this one, we are going to do a ranking of the quests based only on mechanics. So like, like the name, the long name applied, we're going to ignore things like theme and story. And as I said, like the integration of those ideas too. So it doesn't matter if like, oh, we think, an example would be like, oh, the cave torch. That's a cool, like the theme of the cave torch is cool. Like can't talk about that. Talk about the mechanic of it, not the theme. And we're going to omit Alep. Uh, obviously, Shellen worked on it, so it'd be unfair because he probably put it at number one. <laughs> and if he didn't put it at number one, people would, uh, he'd probably get like, uh, drawn and quartered, so we can't do that. Be unfair. Nope. Nope. Um, safe. Yep. We're not going to do sagas because, it, well, I mean, it'd be funny if we said that it was the, not the number one, but... Um, not as funny told... as it would have been had we ranked it not the number one story. Though. Exactly. That, right. But, but yeah. Leaving um, the saga out of it. Yeah, so we're going to leave saga out of it, and then we're not going to discuss campaign elements because uh, not everything has campaigns, and I'll be honest, I've not played uh, all the campaign stuff, so... Sure. And Shellen has played more campaign stuff than I have, so it'd be weird because it'd be like, I haven't played it, you've played it, so it, it wouldn't really work. And not everything's got it, so it's kind of unfair. And then we're not going to discuss Nightmare stuff because, again, not everything's got Nightmare. And I don't know, if, have you played Nightmare Everything? I have not. I've only played I a few. Ha I have played Everything Nightmare, yes. Okay. But like you said, not all of them have it, so let's yeah. throw it out. Yeah, again, we're just going to throw it out. We're just going to do the base stuff, uh, and that's it, basically. So... Again, we're going to do the sort of like living list, like ranking of story was. So basically, we'll introduce, you know, entry one, and that will be number one. And then we'll introduce entry two, and that can be either number one or number two. And it'll just like, and we'll just move things in the list as we go. And once it's in there, it's locked in. We can't move it around. So yep. we got to be sure. And so we'll, this one might be a little bit more jockeying and talking and discussion than story. I thought that one we were pretty cut and dry, right? I mean, we pretty much agree. We were close. We were close. There's only like one or two small disagreements in story. I think 
don't know. We haven't discussed it at all amongst each other yet. So, but I, I feel like there will be some differences on, on this one between what you and I like in a quest. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least in the later ones. I think in the first ones it might be kind of the same, but <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, and then we're gonna do everything as as a whole. Uh, so you know the the deluxe and the APs they'll all be combined together. So the core set will be combined with the first cycle too. So that will basically be one thing. So we're not gonna do like the deluxe and then the APs. They're gonna all just be one thing together. So um, has that made sense so far, Shellen? Yeah, and I think just for clarity's sake, we're not ranking each individual quest in right, a, yes. a live thing. You know, we're gonna say the quests from the Twerodelf cycle as a whole are better yes. than the quests from the Shadows of Mirkwood cycle, for example. And right. what constitutes better will probably vary between the two of us in terms of mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe this one has more highs and less lows, or maybe this one's more flat, or maybe this one... So it, it, it'll vary. We, we don't have a perfect rubric for how we're saying they're better, but we're doing it cycle by cycle. Right, yeah. So there will be nine entries, one through nine, and that, and then yep. and when we get to the end, that when Vengeance of Mordor is done, we will have our list ranked one through nine, and that will be, number one will be what we think is the best quest by mechanic, and number nine is what we think is the weakest. So yep. um, that is how it's going to go. So for this first episode, we're going to do the first three cycles of uh, the game. So it's going to be Core Set and Shadows of Mirkwood as one entry. The next entry will be Khazad Doom and the Dwarf Death Cycle. And then the last entry will be Heirs of Numenor and Against the Shadow Cycle. So, uh, basically the way we're going to do it is we're going to just kind of list off the quests and a little bit of things in it in case people haven't played them or need a refresher. And then we're just going to kind of jump in and start talking about what we like, what we don't like, and then we're going to try to figure out where to rank it. So, here we are, cycle number one. So some of the cycles later will have like a unifying like mechanic or something that like defines it. Cycle one does not have one, so uh, there's nothing to talk about there. <laughs> uh, we'll go straight to the quests here. So the first quest is Passage Through Mirkwood. Shellen, what is this? Oh, give me a little bit of a lowdown on this. Sure. So the, the kind of unique or interesting mechanics, first off, it doesn't have very many of them. It's kind of a tutorial. You know, it's it's you know, have some very basic enemies, very basic locations, learn to play the game. But it does have branching paths where you shuffle up, you know, quest card three and get a different uh, victory mm -hmm. condition, either questing or killing the spider, which is which is kind of cool. We don't have much of that in the game, actually, for it, it starting there. Like, it's pretty rare that you have, like, a random uh, quest stage that you need to do through victory. So that's the, the main thing for Passage. Yeah. And then the next quest is Journey Along the Anduin. What's going on here? So Journey, you obviously have the Hill Troll starting out there, kind of punishing high threats to start with that you have to kill. And then they kind of do the themey thing where you float down the river in Stage 2 and can't engage enemies because you're going down the river. And then Stage 3, you have to kill all the enemies that massed up there. So it's like a big boss fight and then build up a bunch of enemies and have to clear the board or the, the primary mechanics for that one. Yeah. And then tell me about the last quest in what is the core set, Escape from Dol Guldur. Never played it. Don't play it. <laughs> <Do that one. laughs> um, well, no, you probably never played it correctly. We'll get to that. <laughs> uh, that's true. Uh, yeah, so you, you lose one of your starting heroes. They're captured in the dungeons of Dol Guldur. Uh, and you can't play allies. Uh, you can only play one ally as, a, as the group each round for the first couple of quest stages. Uh, so you're down a hero and can't build your allies out. 
And then it's also the first quest that did guarded cards, so it it had objectives that you needed to kind of time when you were going to pick them up to be able to advance and not pick them up too early or else it could really ruin your day. Yeah, that's true. So uh, speaking of objective cards, I guess we'll move to the first AP in this cycle, mm-hmm. and it is Hunt for Gollum, in which you, I'm guessing, Hunt for Gollum? You nailed it. Yeah, no, they, oh. and, and we and we thought ranking of story was a utilitarian <laughs> name. Um, so yeah, there are, there are guarded objectives there as well, the signs for Gollum that you need to pick up. Uh, it has a lot of locations, very location-locky sort of quest, but then it, the other big thing are the hunters from Mordor are the orcs that they get boosted based on the number of those guarded objectives that are in play. So they're pretty wimpy at the beginning, but you know they can be like a 6-6 six, six enemy uh, towards the end of the quest. So that's kind of the, the main shtick of that one, is find those objective cards in the deck. Yeah. And then I think the next quest, we get our another pretty unique one here, Conflict at the Carrick. Right, and that's where you know you've got you know the basically easy quest stage one, and then quest stage two it drops three uh, thirty four engagement cost trolls right on your face uh, out of nowhere. So you got to be prepared to deal with three trolls at once, as if one wasn't bad enough in Journey Along the Anduin. Yeah, you also have to uh, submit an FAQ of are there only two quest phases in <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, because quest card two does not tell you you won. It just. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's funny. I forgot about yeah. that bit. Yeah, I mean, I bring it up now. I don't think it's really going to factor into what's good or bad, but it is a funny thing to bring up. It really um, is. Yeah. So speaking of bad, okay. um, everyone's quest favorite not quest. Warning you what to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sure everybody actually remembers what this quest does. Uh, and if they don't, they must have like amnesia or something. Because uh, Journey to Razgabel, very memorable. Yeah, so if you if you didn't get enough of searching the deck for objective cards, then this one's got your back as you're searching for Ethelus. You've got Williador as kind of our first... I mean, Grimbiorn was in um, Conflict as a like objective ally helping you out, but Williador is like the first escort quest in this game where you got to keep this stupid bird alive. Uh, and you got to use range, you got to use eagles, there's tons of direct damage, and then quest card three... Or yeah, the final quest card. Uh, you could just lose or win, right? As you flip it, uh, quite the shock and surprise for everybody the first time they play it. I think. Yeah, it's got our boy though, Big Willie. So we love it. Yes, that's yeah. true. I, or we hate it because we can't bring Willie to our due to the uniqueness conflict. Oh, uh, that's true. Yeah, I, I I did actually now thinking of Willie did remind me. I forgot to mention that we're not out, we're not talking about uh, print on demand quests either. I, that hopefully that's oh, pretty true. Out. I I totally forgot to mention that up, up front. Um. So those are obviously not getting included. I, hopefully they figure that out because we never mentioned them. So, mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but the quest after Journey to Razgabel is Hills of Emin Wheel. Um, boy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, not, it's not panned for the same terrible reasons that Razgabel is, but I don't know if very many people play this one still. It's uh, it's one of the first quests where they tried to make locations be the big thing in the quest as opposed to enemies. So there's a lot more locations, a lot of treacheries, not that many enemies, and then it requires you to get a bunch of stuff in the victory display and do some arithmetic, uh, which is, you know, always a dangerous thing in a card game. So uh, you need to get enough, I think, 20 victory points worth of locations in the victory display to win. 
interesting alternate condition there instead of just questing through like we'd seen in most places. Yeah. Um, and now for this next one, Shalant. So it was like 100 degrees today. I was so hot. My car's got no AC. I was oh, thinking, no. I wish I had some hot pants. Tell me about, <laughs> t- t- tell me about our, our buddy here in Denmark. <laughs> well, you would probably pull off the hot pants better than Gollum did. Uh, yeah, well, not hard. <laughs> not hard at all. So yeah, no, Dead Marshes, you've got, you've got Gollum. You're trying to keep him with you. He's trying to escape. So this is our first quest that has tests in it where you have to make escape tests using your willpower in the quest phase there to make sure Gollum doesn't get away. And if he does, he gets shuffled in the encounter deck and you restart because <laughs> not going to go through that entire <laughs> stupid encounter deck again looking for him. It's a terrible quest. Uh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, but that's that's the big thing with Dead Marshes is it's got the uh, you need to use your willpower for something other than questing. It's got the escape tests. Yes. And then the last quest in the cycle is return to Markwood. What happens here? You get engaged by an Addercop Addercop on turn one because there's like four of them in the encounter deck and you die. That's what happens in return to Markwood. That's what eats the deer, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. <laughs> it is. Yeah, engages Gollum. It's the Boston Celtics then. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Isn't that the Miami Heat? Uh, sorry. Uh. <laughs> uh, so the this one's an escort quest. You got Gollum with you. You got to keep him alive. And he really, really ramps your threat up, especially in solo. He, you know, he raises the threat, I think, by four for the player controlling him every round. So uh, multiplayer is a lot easier. But that, that's kind of the main thing is you're, you're following Gollum along this path through Mirkwood. Later in the quest, you kind of have another sort of big enemy engaged thing when you got to clear everybody out kind of like you did in journey along the Anduin, but but golem is the the main quest mechanic that that differs in this one from anything else in the cycle yep so that is the nine quests that will make up this entry core set slash shadows of murkwood so i guess let's just move in right into what we think we'll start with what's good um i'll go first here because you mentioned it already i do like the alternate paths to victory in Passage Through Mirkwood. I know it's kind of weird, I think, a little bit, because the very first quest that might be confusing for people, but I like the idea of um, two vastly different things kind of being able to happen uh, to win, so that is something that I like about this cycle. I do too, and especially because you're playing that quest a lot of times with those terrible single or starter decks. Like, it's nice that like maybe the tactics deck, if you, for some reason, were playing it, can get you know a quest that's just kill the enemy. Hey, I can can actually do this, which is kind of nice. Uh, for me, my my first positive on the cycle is more of like a looking at the whole cycle uh, bit, and that's I kind of like that it didn't have a unifying theme or mechanic. This was kind of just a like a sandbox for Nate French to like. I've designed this system what sorts of weird things can I do with it? You know, you've got a couple escort quests, you've got a couple boss fight quests, you've got some really deal with location-y sorts of things, you've, you're capturing heroes. Like, for a first cycle in a game that, you know, didn't have anything to it beforehand, he takes a lot of big swings at really interesting ideas that, you know, I think, you know, some cycles later on, we might talk about, you feel maybe a little bit more um, cohesive, but I do appreciate that the quests here in the cycle, they do all feel very different. So if you were to sit down and play all nine of them, uh, you're you're not getting a samey sort of feeling, despite obviously having the shared encounter sets. 
Yeah, I would say the only two that maybe are close is like because you said Hunt for Gollum can be really location heavy, and so can Hills of Emmon Wheel. So you yeah, could, if you if you get bad luck, you could be like, wow, these are just like flooding me with locations. But that's not always the case in Hunt for Gollum. Um, you don't always get the really bad location luck. But yeah, um, I think something that I like is the appearance of some of these positive locations. Like, um, yeah, is it Enchanted Stream? Right, that's the one that that's the first player to draw two cards, or is it Ooh, I- the Hero? I think Enchanted Stream says you can't draw cards. Oh, I'm thinking it's of, like, okay. <laughs> but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah you start yeah. off with it in the staging area in Passage, right? Yes, uh, yes. I don't remember the name of it, but... Um, but yeah, you get to ready a hero. And there's a couple of those kind of throughout the cycle, which I guess kind of set us up for some <laughs> uh, false sense of hope that maybe some encounter cards would yeah. help us. Yeah, but I, I like the idea of having the positive ones, because... Uh, so I had this in the dock, and then I deleted it because I was like, "Ooh, getting a little close to theme," and I put it back in. But I do think mechanically, I think it matters too. Is that like, if you were running around, of course you would also be finding places where it's like, "Oh, you know, here's the place to take 15, right?" Um, so I do think it makes sense for them to be in there because if you go to like Merkwood and you're running around. Not everywhere is always evil, you know. Sure. And I and I think because um, we don't get some of these in later ones, though we do in others. But like, if you were, uh, what would be an example? Oh, like in Harad, if you just found like a an empty storehouse or like that's like, oh, it could be a place to hide. That could be good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't always have to be uh, someone's home when you're invading, <laughs> like the like str- the strangers or whatever. But um, so I do I do like that. Uh, I I think I know why we didn't get many of them later because I they they put in player cards that let you swap out locations and obviously those cards would be really good if you could always or almost always find a positive location to help you would probably make those cards too good but um especially considering as this is early in in the game and usually don't have a lot of good cards especially at the core set I like that there are some that will help you I think is yes yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree and I, I looked them up for those people that were yelling at us yeah the old forest road lets you ready a hero and the forest gate lets you draw two cards Okay. And we see those throughout a couple of the quests in the, in the the cycle there. So yeah, I agree. Those are very fun. Um, I'm impressed how well a couple of the quests held up on, into late game design. Um, Journey along the Anduin. I personally don't love it as much as a lot of the player base does, but there's no Agreed. questioning that uh, for something that came out in the core box of the game, it's a very well designed scenario. Like I, I think that troll forces some weird deck building choices on you that either force you to turtle and make it easy or make suboptimal choices on your deck just to be below 30 threat but it's fun uh it's probably the most played quest in the game i would have to imagine by a a pretty long shot uh since i think a lot of people love to test their decks against it and then you know a lot of people go back and you still see people say like i'm gonna go (laughs) you know Power quest. It, you know, I, I lost this scenario. I'm going to go beat up on Journey Along the End with my <laughs> deck, which is kind of a funny thing to go back. But but it's cool. I think that going down the river bit is interesting. Like, as you're not allowed to engage the enemies naturally, you can only optionally engage one, and just watching that build up and mm-hmm. then have to take them all out in stage three is pretty cool. Yeah. How do you feel about the fact that Escape from Dol Guldur, it's a core set quest, but it's still one of the... Tr- like more tricky and hard quests in the game, even with a full 
school. Pretty interesting. I think that it's pretty obvious that while this game could be played solo, that was never like the original intent. Like I think as we got deeper in the game, they designed with it much more in mind. But I think like the quest is so infamously difficult because it was impossible solo. As you got to like three and four players, it's it's just really hard. It's not impossible. Um, so I think you know they didn't have the balance quite right. Didn't realize how bad a hero was going to be, and didn't realize how crazy it is that you stage three cards guarding the objectives right away. Uh, so you you, you, know, you when you stage your first card in the round, you've got potentially four encounter cards in the solo to deal with in the first combat phase and travel phase. So. Uh, it has some warts there. Um, it, it should not have been designed that difficult for Corset-only players back in 2011. Okay, yeah, I, I agree. I think um, looking back now, I think it's a fun challenge to take on because it's mm-hmm. like you have enough stuff with a full card pool to make it more interesting. Like, I, I usually I play this quest now a lot with like the Kaldara deck, and it's like, actually, it's not that hard anymore. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I think it's kind of interesting that we got one that's, like, kind of stands the test of time as still being infamous. Uh, yeah, still not... a top five hardest quest, easily. Yeah. Um, right. Probably more so in solo. More than top yeah. five, still. Mm-hmm. But another thing that I do like is I'm still a fan of the way Conflict at the Carrick works with the, uh, the trolls and the boss fight there mm-hmm. and the, the bags roasting you and all that stuff. Um, because I think it's interesting in how it teaches you about timing and advancing through quest stages. Uh, because obviously in this one, if you go too quickly, you probably, well, actually it's interesting because it's like, depending on your deck, maybe you do want to go through it quickly so you can then take them down one by one. Uh Or sometimes you just want to turtle and build up and then take them all at once. So I think it's interesting in that it teaches you about your, not only the timing of the quest, but of your deck too and how it works. So I do like that about Conflict of the Carrick. I, I really like that too. Conflict is probably my favorite quest in the cycle. Um, I still don't go back to it that often. But yes, I think that teaching players how to manage their threat, which you kind of learned in Journey Along the Anduin as well, but then, you know, teaching them that rushing through the quest stages isn't always the best way to do things isn't is, is good and then i like the the, the bee pasture um where you can spend oh yeah or resources to get grim bayorn uh That's the cool. old to join you like it's cool that there's a objective ally hidden in the encounter deck that you know that encounter deck and you know i guess i'll say it here and a lot of these encounter decks in this cycle the next cycle are huge <laughs> uh, by comparison to others so so one singleton Grim Bayorn in the deck, you're not going to see him every time by any stretch, but it's a, it's a cool, fun thing to have in there for, for players to try to strive to, to get to help you beat those trolls. Yeah. Uh, two questions about Carrick related to... Uh, well, the first is, is it better or worse than the one that's in the Hobbit Saga? I don't remember what the name of that quest is. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's sack. probably... <laughs> Yeah, I think it's probably better. I, I think that they're relatively similar if you ignore the, like, getting the treasure mechanic from yeah. from The Hobbit. Like, having to do the troll purse and all that sort of nonsense kind of takes that one down a notch for me. Uh, but I, 
I, I think they're both relatively similar, but I'll give the slight nod to Carrick. Okay. Yeah, I would I would give Carrick the edge um, over whatever those other quests' name. Uh, <laughs> and then, is he Louis the Troll or Louis the Troll for you? I have always called him Louis. I think Louis is a little too French in a English game. I don't think Tolkien would name his troll Louis. Okay, well, I'm banning you from the Victor Wenbenyama uh, follow-up <laughs> pod. You, okay. you're, not gonna, you're not gonna learn that it's a croissant, and you can keep calling it a croissant to make him mad? You know, I actually always call it a croissant. Uh, but that just oh. makes my son laugh. Okay, so, okay, so you're, already, uh, you're already working on it. So this is, okay, you're, you're back on. Uh, I'll let you back on. <laughs> okay. Um, do you have anything else that you want to say positive about this cycle here? I don't think I do. <laughs> okay. I, I don't think I, I do. I've also exhausted my uh, points here. So let's go straight up into what's bad. I'll start with the, the macro one that you mentioned already. And it is the fact that the encounter decks are really thick, which means yeah. that they're really inconsistent in terms of what comes out. So it's kind of like... It's at times hard to see everything that the deck is trying to do because it's like there's so many cards in it. And then I also think you said it was kind of like a positive for you that the quests were kind of doing a lot of different things. I think, well, I agree with that. I think the problem is that execution is very inconsistent, is that there's some real boom or bust on some of them. And I think we'll get into that more specifically. But um, I would say that's an overall weakness of the cycle for me yeah i think i'm gonna just dive right in on that because that's my number one weakness with the cycle i think is that the the boomer bust nature of these things uh, i'm gonna kind of go in on journey along the anduin here but a lot of people still like to use that as a deck testing quest uh even you know with a full card pool and for me like not only do you have the weird like you can't go above 30 starting threat which eliminates a lot of decks that you would want to test. But there are so many encounter cards in that encounter set that do absolutely nothing to you unless you're yeah. at 35 threat or higher. Like, you, you know, late stage card design, it would say, like, if your threat is 35 or higher, deal a damage to each character you control. If not, this card gains surge. But there's no surge in this one. Like, so you get so many freebie encounter cards that literally do nothing. But then you also have these crazy encounter cards like Adderkopf, which are literally like an instant loss if you reveal it turn one. It's like this this gigantic eight attack spider engages the player guarding Gollum. Uh, <laughs> you know, like if you reveal that right away, it's over. Um, mm-hmm. And just, I think that level of inconsistency can lead to some really weird games where it's like, wow, I beat that quest without even trying. Or, wow, my deck was humming and I still, you know, got the stupid necromancers reach four times in a row and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, the, all this sort of stuff. So I, I think just the very swingy nature of those encounter cards is a, a big downfall for me on how the quests function in this one, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. As we said, it's inconsistent. So it's just hard to see everything. And it just kind of doesn't always blend well together. Um, actually, one of the reasons why I played, you're saying that a lot of people played Hills of Wheel lately. That was when I played a lot when I didn't have a lot of cards because it was one of the only ones where I didn't feel like, oh, it could just be instantly pear-shaped, you know? Um, as you're saying, where right. it's like, oh, one card and it's over. That one was one where it was like, oh, 
it takes a couple of cards to be over. There's a couple bad ones in it, but some of the other ones, yeah, like um, even with a full card pool, like Hunt for Gollum, if you get like the wrong first like two cards, the game is like over, <laughs> as, you, as you mentioned. So it's I, I'm not a big fan of, and I and, and that is probably its biggest weakness. Um, to get into some more uh, micro level stuff, I'll do the one that I, I mentioned earlier, which is the stupid Nazgul and Dol Guldur. Yeah. And this is just, I wrote in the, the doc here that I thought at times there was some immaturity in the game design. And I don't mean like immaturity, like uh, fart jokes immaturity. I mean, like, it's, uh, I, w- I would have liked that, okay? Uh, but, uh, um, I mean, immaturity is in like, it's not quite fully developed all the way or thought through. Yeah. And that is like, the, the Nazgul is the perfect example of this, I think, for me. Because uh, I think is it in quest stage two that is supposed to come into play, right? I think once you get the, the when you rescue your hero, or yep, exactly. yeah. But the problem is that it's written on this card that's out of play that on the Nazgul, so it doesn't make sense because you're reading the quest cards and all the objective cards to figure things out, and then basically everybody advances the third stage, beats the quest. Like when does this Nazgul come out? You read the quick the uh, text of the Nazgul, and you're like, oh, I was supposed to put it into play when I rescued my hero, but you would have no way of knowing that without... And you would never look at a card out of play. So, no. I, I that is uh, that is the example to me of, like, in more modern design, that would actually be written on the quest card that would say, like, the Nazgul enters play when you rescue your hero, you know, type of thing, and it doesn't, and I think that's really annoying because it's... <laughs> A lot of times you'll play this and you'll get to the end. You'll be like, I don't understand this quest. And you'll be like, oh my God. So, Right. And the first couple rounds are so punishing too, that like you've scooped however many times to get to this point. Finally get to, to quest stage three, maybe then see the Nazgul and realize that you just asterisked yourself, uh, mm-hmm. which is just so frustrating. <laughs> it's frustrating to have like a very obvious, like, oh, I cheated moment, but especially so in a quest that's just so hard otherwise. Yeah. Silly. Yeah. Kind kind of on a similar vein, the Rosgabel surprise. Like, there are some surprises in this game uh, that I'm sure we'll talk about as we move forward that I think are well done and very interesting mm-hmm. and, and still punitive the first time you go play a quest blind. Uh, this one's not. This one's just unfun. Like, flip it over. Do you have enough FLS to completely heal Willidor? Great, you won. Do you not? Okay, you lost. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. And sure, it only hurts you on your very first playthrough. But it's not a super fun quest. Uh, nobody really likes it. There's so much direct damage it's in an early game card pool where you don't have a lot of cards to do against it. Mm-hmm. You have to have eagles or range to defend against so many of the yeah. baddies. Creatures, too, which is like, there's hardly any creature cards in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but that, that flip is just cruel, I think, you know, because. Almost everybody that I know likes to play these quests the first time through blind. Like, that's that's part of the fun of having these new quests. Like, you know, I'm not, you know, maybe I'll do a cursory look at some of the encounter cards, but I'm going to try to play it and see how it goes. And, and that's just an unfun way to end a blind playthrough. Yeah, it, yeah, it's basically like you would have... I guess, I guess the idea is if you were like a really... And this would be more like competitive thinking... And I know Nate had played some competitive games, but that's why. But you would be like, oh, there are these Athelos cards in here. I should probably try to get as many of them as I can. Because the deck is t- hinting that these might be important. But 
this is also the fifth. Is that right? Fifth quest and sixth quest? Fifth. Sixth. I can just read the numbers here instead of trying to count. <laughs> sixth. Yes. It's a sixth quest in the game overall. And one of them, as we mentioned, Escape from Dolgador, like nobody ever plays because they don't beat it. So it's really like the fifth, like 5.5. So like the players are not trained to think that way about the game, mm-hmm. to be thinking like, oh, I should just be examining the encounter deck as things are happening and trying to suss things out based on what cards I'm seeing. Um, and then you also have the problem is like, even if you did, you would have no idea how many you need. <laughs> so it's just like, uh, yeah, it's frustrating um, to basically just get to it and then just lose. And then also, um, you can just accidentally get too fa- too too fast, you know? Because as you're saying, yeah. there's a lot of totally whiff or, you know, you reveal treachery cards. It's like, oh boy, I just went way too fast. And it's like, well, I knew what I needed to do, but I still lost because I went too fast and there was nothing I could do about it. It doesn't like reset you or anything. It's just over. Very annoying. Yep, and you can just get, and you know, as is the case with any of these quests that have objectives shuffled in, you can just get screwed. You know, they can come up with shadow mm-hmm. cards and you know, see them and these sorts of things, and you just lose based on the order the deck was in, which is a frustrating way to lose also. But yeah. I don't like any of those, like, search, you know, this, or Framsburg, or, you know, those sorts of quests where you look through stuff. Not a, not a fan. Yeah, you mentioned shadow, so we should talk about uh, Hot Pants, Dead Marsh's Golem. And this is one of the dumbest the things is that uh, with the escape tests, if you fail him, he goes into the encounter deck, which is okay. Um, but the problem is if he appears as a shadow card, he doesn't have shadow text, so he just goes in the discard pile and you gotta cycle through the whole deck again. As we mentioned, the decks are huge, so it takes forever. If he just had, like, if Gollum appears as a shadow card, shuffle it back into the encounter deck, I think massively improves the quest. Um, I don't think it still becomes like top tier or anything, but I think it, it just makes it much more playable because everybody hates if you fail the test and he sh- gets shuffled in. As you mentioned, it's basically like, I'm going to start over or I'm going to have to cheat and I'm going to have to do the, the, exactly what I said, where like if he appears as a shadow, I'm going to have to shuffle him in because it's just like, am I going to play this quest for four hours potentially? Because that could happen. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, really poor. Uh, there's that lack of foresight. Same with the kind of like the Dolgodoro we said, just lack of foresight on like what could potential problems be. Uh, so yeah, it's another really, really annoying one. It is. And then I think kind of my last one that I've got is that the player count um, scaling in this cycle is rough. Like Journey Along the Anduin's a lot harder solo because, you know, you staged the same number of cards. <laughs> in stage two. Dolgoldur is a lot harder solo because you lose one hero no matter how many, you know, folks are there. Return to Mirkwood's a lot harder solo because you've got Golem increasing your threat every round. Mm-hmm. Like, there just wasn't a lot of forethought into how well this scaled. Like, I think two or three players that plays pretty well. Four players, you just better pray that at least one person brought Northern Trackers with the way Location Locked worked this cycle. So, uh, Nate didn't have the the scaling down super well on this cycle, I don't think yet. Yeah. And then, um, I think you kind of mentioned it. You kind of hinted it a little bit earlier with uh, Escape from Dolgoldor with uh, the staging stuff. I don't like these ones where uh, the staging is just reveal cards oh, off yeah. the counter top. 
because it's so, as we've mentioned, really inconsistent, but you can get, like, total whiffs as, like, uh, mm-hmm. that, like, seeing eye card, whatever the heck it is, the, uh, the with the Nazgul on it, that's, like, if you have to be, as you mentioned, 35 or above, it's like, you reveal that, it's like, okay, well, I revealed a, a card that did nothing, but it's like, oh, I revealed the worst card in the encounter deck, great. So I just don't like them because they're just, uh, so variable, and too many times it's just whiffs a lot of times, and it's like, Oh, this is kind of stupid. So, like, yep. Um, yep, we'll sure. talk about that again, but I think that's, that, that's not great. Um, again, contributes to the the swingy nature of these quests a lot of times. You, you're not getting consistent games, which can sometimes yeah. be nice, but I think in this case, it's to the detriment uh, yeah. of it to not have mm-hmm. them be so as consistent. Sure. So let's get it on the board here. Um, so I'm gonna say the core set and shadows of Morkwood is. The number one best cycle in the game. Uh, that's understandable, you would think that, but I would disagree and say it's my least favorite uh, cycle up to this point. So I'm going to rank it in my number one spot. Okay. Well, I've also ranked it at the number one spot too. So uh, we're in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so that was let's easy. Go. Yeah, that was easy. All right. Cool. Episode's done. Show's done. This is going to be so easy for us. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Uh, let's go straight on here. Quest uh, cycle number two, Kaza Doom and the Dwarf Elf cycle. Again, uh, there's not a true unifying mechanic across the cycle. I, w- I guess maybe that there's a lot of dark and underground stuff is the closest you could say. Yeah, I think um, the, I think the shared encounter sets are a bit more memorable in this one, but none of them are very like mechanically. Yeah. Distinct. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, there's not like a you're not when you get Kaza Doom, you're not saying like, oh, it's got this specific thing. It's just like like I said, just a lot of stuff stays underground, so it's like they all kind of work together, but um yeah, not a specific mechanic to go with them. Mm-hmm. So let's go straight into the quests here. Into the pit, the first quest in the deluxe uh box. Tell me about it. Yeah, so Into the Pit, it's the one that's got the the multiple unique locations that all come into play after you clear one, so it's kind of like you following the path into Moria. Uh, requires pretty hard questing up off the front uh, to, to get through the first one. And then it's got the Cave Torch, so all the dark locations and all that sort of stuff, and a lot of very low engagement cost goblins that all have the same, like, they don't hit that hard, but there's a ton of them, and they're all very boosted for undefended attack. So trying to swarm you with enemies, sort of thing. Does this one have the Book of Mazerbolt? Is or is that just the next one? I can't. That's remember. just the next one. Yep. Okay. Uh, I guess we'll just talk about it now, though, which is seventh level, and tell them about this cool book I just talked about. <laughs> yeah, it's got the Book of <laughs> Mazerbolt in it, uh, which lets oh, you whoa. Your, your, your one hero not exhaust a quest, I think, right? But they can't attack or defend. Yeah. So you're, again, kind of delving deeper into Moria, trying to find Valen's tomb, or I guess you don't know what you're trying to find, that you do find it. Um, but it, it's very, very similar, I think, to Into the Pit. It doesn't have the same big willpower pushes, uh, and I think maybe is a little more swarmy, just thanks to quest cards pulling enemies and out mm-hmm. for you, but kind of the very similar cave torch, little goblins sort of thing. Yeah, this one's supposed to kind of mimic uh, the Balin's tomb, tomb scene from the um, yep. the book slash movie, uh, where you're in the tomb and then all these en- like 
we need enemies fight you. That that's what this was supposed to kind of be like. Um, and then the last one here is flight from Mori, which is kind of unique. So tell people about it. Yeah, so you're you're kind of running from the nameless fear here in this one. You don't get to actually fight the Balrog, but it's always right on your tail, and it's got all of its stage twos are the same 2A, and then the backside 2B is different, and you kind of shuffle them up and go through them. There's a couple different ways you can win this quest. Like I think there's one where you can discard a card off the top of the encounter deck, and if it's not a treachery, you win, but the deck has tons of treacheries. Uh, but the main way that you win this one is by trying to find the, the abandoned mining tools and then finding the correct 2B uh, that allows you to use the mining tools to kind of like dig your way out of the mountain sort of thing. But you got the big old Balrog chasing you the whole time, getting yeah. powered up and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then moving into our APs, as we mentioned in Ranking of Story, they're a little kind of disconnected here, so... Uh, I think I might actually have them out of order here, too. Isn't Road to Rivendell before Redhorn Gate? It is not. Okay. No, Redhorn Gate's it... first. Okay, I did, I did, I did refix this, because I had them in here in the wrong order when I first put them in. So, yeah, Redhorn Gate is first. Yeah, and that's the one on the mountains. You got Arwen, you're, you're escorting her home, um, and you've got, you know, Karadris debuffing willpower, Snowstorm's debuffing willpower, so you're having to quest through this, and then you've got these cold cards that'll, you know, discard characters if they ever get to zero willpower sort of thing. So it's it's mechanically trying to make you quest through the cold is, is the biggest piece to it, I think. For yeah, so it's also called Eric Takes His Son to Work. <laughs> <laughs> um, and <laughs> the other one that kind of goes with this is uh, Road to Rivendell, which has... um an objective ally again. Yep, got Arwen in it again. All anybody remembers from this quest is the couple of treacheries that are in yeah. it. <laughs> um, but but the, the main mechanic is the ambush keyword where enemies make engagement checks as they're revealed, basically, and can, and can possibly engage somebody and attack them. Uh, so, especially in multiplayer, it can really overwhelm the first player who's got Arwen. Sometimes it's kind of the, the idea behind it. Uh, but yeah, a lot of orcs. Uh, you got the big like orc gate at the end that brings in a lot of enemies and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So another kind of swarm you with enemies quest, but does it a little differently than the the first two did. That's the one with the bear, right? With that's got zero threats. Yes. Yeah, because yep. he's like Sauron can't control him. I'm you're, I'm sure you're very familiar with bears, so and why they would have zero. Yes. Yep. They're they're everywhere. They're in my backyard. Yep. Um. Then the next quest is Watcher in the Water, which. I'm sure a lot of people know what this quest is about because it's pretty much in the title of the quest again, right? It is, yeah. You fight the Watcher in the water. So yeah, you've got you know quest stage of fighting tentacles, which all have really low engagement costs and all have really low or like weird abilities, you know, that can possibly take over characters, discard characters, make your characters attack other characters, all these crazy things. But then uh, when you finally get to fight the Watcher, you can either try to kill it or try to you know, use a riddle mechanic looking through cards in your deck that start with certain letters or something like that uh, to to get through. Uh, so another one of those two possible paths to victory quests. Yeah, I think it's something really weird where it's like discard the top card of the encounter deck and then if you have a card in your hand where that matches right. it or that something matches. like that. Then yep. So like, yeah, like the trick is to like, if you want to do it that way, so load up your deck with similar titled cards, which is like 
super strange to do, but uh, kind of interesting. Uh, one that I don't find very interesting, though, is the Long Dark. Yeah, yeah, Ugh. Long Dark. Um, this is kind of the sequel to Emin Wheel, uh, where it's a locations matter sort of quest. Like, can we make the quest based on locations? So there's a lot of locations. Uh, they do weird things. You start with a bunch in play, depending on player count, and then there's locate tests. So it's the next quest that has a test mechanic in it. Uh, and that's basically it. It, it. Kind of like Evan Wheel, there's not a lot of enemies and they're not very strong, so you're just kind of trying to survive the locate tests. Uh, which you can't, because only like 17% of the cards in the deck have a pass on them. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, we'll talk about that. Doing. Yep. And, and then also, isn't like a locate test, don't you have to discard cards from your hand to do it, I think, too? Exactly. You discard a card from your hand, flip over the top card of the encounter deck. If it says pass, you have succeeded. If it doesn't say pass, then you can discard another card to look at the next card of the encounter deck. So kind of as many cards as you have in your hand and as you want to get rid of, you can keep trying to, to pass the locate tests. And if you fail, usually there's cards in play that say something like, if Lost. you fail a locate test, do this terrible thing. It has lost effects, I think, right? Is that it? Yep, exactly. I think, and I think there's other specialties that like trigger them, so that way, like, mm -hmm. you can't just always pass your locate test. Sometimes it'll trigger anyway. Not that you could anyway. So, like, it's like impossible. So, uh, I, the next quest is a fan favorite here, and it is the Foundations of Stone. Uh, we're not talking about the player card. That's one of the reasons why it's people's favorite. But the quest is also pretty good too, huh? Pretty interesting. I like it. Yeah, this one, this one, I think, kind of follows the Rosgabel thing, like we talked about, where there's a big old twist there in the middle of the quest. But this one, I think, is a good twist. You know, you you get washed away into separate staging areas from your other players. So if you're playing multiplayer, you can't help each other out anymore. There's no range. There's Sentinel or anything. You're questing on your own. You lose a lot of the cards that were in play, uh, and then start fighting those ancient cave dwellers instead of the, the goblins and stuff that you've grown accustomed to in the shared encounter sets. So really cool that the big, you know, we got knocked into the deep pits of Moria sort of quest. Yeah, and what's cool about like the nameless thing or whatever they're called in this one, uh, the tentacle monsters basically mm -hmm. is what I always think of them as, is they uh, will like basically steal the top card of your deck and then they'll get like right. boost based on what it is. So like if you're packing your deck full of like four cost, five cost cards, like they're going to get like plus fives. Yeah, so it's like, yep. so it's kind of interesting that the idea that like, um, you know, everybody's playing like Gandalf a lot of times or, you know, whatever. It's like, oh man, that's actually hurting me to play cards that are so good. So it, it also did create the weird rule where we had to figure out what X meant on these enemies too, sometimes too, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, the last one in this, uh, we're facing off against the Belrog again in Shadow and Flame. Yeah, so Shadow and Flame, you, you get your rematch. This time you actually get to fight the Balrog. And, you know, you, the unique mechanic in this one is that no matter what your threat is, it sets your threat to zero uh, to start the quest. And then Durin's Bane only engages players with a threat of one or higher. So he, you get like a a free round basically to build up and then the Balrog's on top of you unless you have other strategies. But then you, you finally get to, to try to knock him into the pit there at the, the last quest stage where you've got to put enough damage on him that you can look at the top couple cards of your deck and compare their cost to its remaining hit points 
to be able to to knock him away. So you got to do a little bit of planning in terms of like how you deal damage to him when you quest through that active location and that sort of thing. So another kind of one of those like it's similar to just questing through the quest card, but adds a couple extra steps to to give you an interesting victory condition at the end. Yeah, the, I would say the kind of unique thing about this one, or the two unique things are the starting at zero threat allows you to really play around with like your hero lineup because you can run heroes that have really high threat because it doesn't matter because they're all you're going back to zero, yep. and it also lets you play a lot of those secrecy cards or low threat type of cards mm-hmm. um, because you're going to be starting so well you're starting at zero so uh yeah a lot of time to build it up and then also the belrog he will attack like everybody who's over who's one or over so it's not just like oh the first players everybody can get beat down by him so um he also regenerates too so he gets at the watcher does that too actually i think where uh yes they they heal they self-heal which i think is so you, so can't, you just, can't just chip away at him slowly. Yes. You gotta be able to do some chunk damage. Yep, yep. You just gotta be like, okay, this is, I've built up, now I'm gonna go for it type of thing. You can't just be like, yeah, exactly. You can't be like, I'll do one damage every round and then I'll just win in 30 rounds. Like, no, 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 I gotta work that way, you know? So that is the nine quests of this second cycle here. And let's talk about what we like about it. Uh, I guess... Uh, we talked a lot about the because we talked a lot about stuff here already, but I do like the fact that you can do that two ways to beat the water with the door thing. I think it's really hard to do it. I've never ever done it, to be honest. Uh, but I do like the idea of being able to open the door as a way to beat the watcher instead of just hacking it apart, which is what I always do. But I think that's an interesting way to attempt to make that weird door that you see in the movie have some sort of mechanic it is cool i i think my favorite like and this won't factor into my rating at all is that the the way to the, the victory condition for the quest is actually that if the players have at least three victory points and defeat the stage they have won the game oh yeah and then the doors and the watcher both have you know three victory points on them but you know late later you know they obviously didn't design with later cycles in mind you can actually just mm-hmm. pack a couple side quests player side quest that has victory <laughs> yeah. one on them or maybe a flame of an that has uh victory one on it and just load up the victory display and quest through the end without having to do either of those things that's true. <laughs> as a as a cheap way to beat this quest someday yeah that is true that's uh but yeah i think that's cool i've also never beaten it the the riddle way i'm always kill the watcher you have to be able to kill all the tentacles anyway um mm-hmm. so so yeah, at that I, point you're like, I'm I'm loading up on combat, so I guess I'm just gonna freaking kill the watcher. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can't avoid them because they've got like 15 or 18 engagement costs. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of low engagement costs, I think that the goblin encounter sets and things that deal with them are very well done in this. You know, we didn't get the swarmy enemy feel in the first cycle, and I think these low engagement goblins that had shadow effects that put them in the staging area if they were a shadow card coupled with the cave torch exhausting and maybe finding an enemy and the watchful eyes treachery pull maybe pulling an enemy for you uh all worked together very well to to potentially overrun you with these goblins that really aren't that threatening on their own 
But all of a sudden, when they're attacking for like five or six, if you have to take it undefended because you got two more of them than you thought you were going to do, it was like a game ender. Uh, so I think that that was a cool, like, hey, it's a goblin, I can handle this, and oh god, I have four goblins, and now I can't handle it. Uh, way that the mechanics worked, and that would have been in, you know, the first couple quests in the cycle, and then Lost or Foundations of Stone, I think, are kind of where they mostly showed up. Yes, I also had uh, the shadow effect on the goblins I liked because I just like the idea of, like, if you're fighting a horde and a swarm, you know, you hack down one and then another one just replaces it, right? Um, yep. So I, I like I like that because, as you said, too, it makes it a little... Because they're not, like, cancel or die type of um, shadows, you know, like, um, this attack is undefended or this attack... Uh, engage makes another attack. attack. Yep. Um, you type of stuff where it's like, oh god, these are really horrible. It's just like, oh, it's just another enemy, and they're not that bad. But then it's like, oh, I got three of these. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I got, I'm fighting three more goblins again next turn. You know, after you kill all three, so it's like, yeah, it just it, it continues the snowball going. It kind of prevents the quest from stalling out. I think so because uh, some, as we mentioned, some of them, the point is that you're fighting a lot of weenie goblins. So it's like if they were, if they weren't continually replenishing themselves, you'd be like, well, the point was to fight goblins. I killed the goblins, and there are no more goblins. <laughs> so yeah, I agree. I like that. Uh, one that I liked again was the split up in foundations of stone. Was the first time we got something like that. So yep. Um, I think it's been done better in later quests, but this is the first time we got it, and I still think. I do enjoy. I enjoy the fact that these four quest stages are pretty different. Yes, and they kind of like if you are playing like four player, one player can get one that's really bad for them. You know, I like the idea that once you kind of get um, washed away and you're all in the separate areas, it's like, oh, okay, you know. Um, and then mechanically, that it wipes away like all of your like armor and weapons and the light attachments. I think is funny because that's what. Because that's something I get sort of the torch or something like that. But, yeah. Um, so I, I like that too. Uh, and then the fact that this second, uh, well, I'll also go the washed away stages. So the washed away stages have like different cards in them. They have like that sunken treasure, I think, right? That treasure mm-hmm. chest one. So and then, so I I do like the idea that you're getting uh, different stuff in there as well. It's not just like. Oh, you got split up, you got four different stages, but all the cards are the same. It's like, well, what would the point be then, right? It's like, oh, things are totally different. So I do enjoy that, because I, I like... And you have to make decisions as you're playing it. Like, okay, if we're playing three-player shelling, it's like, alright, I blitz through mine in, like, one staging, and then I gotta look and be like, okay, so who needs my help more? Because then when you, you, then you merge, basically you find each other, and then you can help somebody else. It's like, okay, I see Shellen, he's getting really, he's looking like he's getting location locked, but we look at our other player, I'm like, ooh, he, he's gonna get killed by these enemies, so I, I have to leave Shellen kind of location locked, because he won't die right away, so our other player will die. Right. And uh, I, I do enjoy that decision-making tree that you'll have to make, too. I think that's my favorite part about the staging areas in that one, is that is the rush to to try to have some person go help the person who's definitely screwed by what staging area they got, because I think there are, there are some of those that are just so bad for certain decks. Like, you can get mm-hmm. ones that start you off with, like, a couple enemies 
or you can get ones that do just load up your locations. So, if, you know, if you had your tactics player get the quest heavy one, like they're just going to sit there and watch their threat balloon or the quester is going to get swarmed. So, yeah, foundations, the, the separate staging areas and shuffling in the foundations encounter set midway through the quest make that one just very, very cool and memorable. Um, I then I guess Shadow and Flame, uh, you know, a very unique way to do the boss battle, uh, where, you know, I think we'd seen before you can kind of turtle away from the trolls and, and, you know, slow roll it and these sorts of things. Shadow and Flame tells you, no, you have one round. Mm -hmm. Here comes the Balrog. Start feeding it cheap dwarves, <laughs> basically. <laughs> you know, there, there are some ways that you can cheese the quest with a full card pool. But I think for those of us that played it, you know, either progression or as the game was coming out, there really weren't those ways. You know, we didn't have Galadriel or Baragond or Frodo or whatever to keep you at zero threat perpetually. So it was scary just having this Balrog chasing you. You're trying to build up enough of a board state that you don't die, but then somehow still have to build up enough of a board state that you can do that chunk damage to it and still be questing decently well to quest through you know quest stage one and quest stage two before you can get to the point where you can knock it off the bridge so i think it was fun dropping this you know just horrible boss enemy right in your lap and saying you get zero threat so you have access to some of these other great heroes and cards but good luck yeah it's a really cool quest if you don't go for all the cheese strats like this was before you this is when you could do the hama faint lock on him because yep when you fainted him it fainted for every everybody, so like that was the way to beat him early in the game, and then you just recycle that Pama over and over again. As you mentioned, just play the threat reduction heroes <laughs> now, and it's like okay, they're, it's really easy. You know, I played this with uh, leadership Frodo, and I uh, he never exchanged me until I was ready to kill him. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is really easy. But uh, yeah, pretty interesting idea, and very hard if you play it naturally is the way i would call it and no cheese strats but um yeah pretty cool idea for a quest and he's also got some really interesting um uh treacheries that work with him too like he's got the one that's the the whip and the uh sword and then the counter spell which counter just spell. cuts all yep. of your events um so yeah i think that's that's he's got some cool things to go with the belrog too in that one as well uh, but I mentioned attachments and stuff. I do like the cave torch because I like the fact that as in your in the dark, you can use this torch to kind of like peek in and look to uh, there's an explorer. But then also, when you use it as you're using it, you can reveal enemies when you're trying to explore these locations. Because like, yeah, guess what? Enemies are hiding in the dark, so it does come with risk of using it. But sometimes it's just like. I gotta do it. <laughs> it's like Zigil Mineshaft. I can't take all five threat. I gotta try the Cave Torch for three, raise my threat by two, and get it out of here because it's worth the five. Otherwise, I lose this uh, questing phase. So I like that card. It's fun for risk reward. There, there are times where I'll never use it at all, and uh, it'll just hang around and just be a lame-o attack for taking up a restricted slot that I'm annoyed at, but. <laughs> uh, Sometimes it can be a really useful card to take a gamble on. Yeah. Yep. Cave Torch is very fun. And the art is depicting it being held mostly like a normal torch, which is nice. <laughs> uh, that's true. Yeah. 
you got any more uh, positives there that you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, I liked the... Uh, there's a couple of treacheries that I like in this one. I think is it... Uh, is it called like Undisturbed Bones or whatever? That's like just like Surge and Doomed, I think. <laughs> it is, with a lot of flavor text. It's like Doomed to Surge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's got a lot of flavor text. It's just like a skeleton on there. It's the art. I liked that one, and I like the Doom 5 uh, treachery and watcher in the water as well. Disturbed waters. Disturbed waters, yeah, because I, um, as you kind of mentioned, it doesn't matter a whole lot because it's like everything's so low in engagement, so you have to engage all of them anyway, but I, I like the idea of like, um, it, it, I mean, as it's described, disturbed water, as you disturb the water. You know, uh-oh, more danger is going to happen because you're alerting the Watcher to you and your presence. Uh, so I like that one as well. Um, and then, is it, this one has, I think, is it Freezing Cold? I think is the one in um, Redhorn Gate. I just like the uh, fact that it's got a card called Freezing Cold because it's, like, too real. <laughs> yeah, is that the condition attachment one? that yes. lowers your willpower and removes you from the quest and all that sort of thing. Yep, yep. Yeah, they did a um, good job with a lot of the treacheries in this cycle, I think. We'll we'll get into the ones that they didn't do a good job on, but uh, the first cycle, I think a lot of the treacheries were pretty simplistic for mm-hmm. the most part. Um, you know, deal a damage to every questing character. If your threat's this, discarded. You know, I, I think they had a much more mechanically interesting treacheries for a lot of the quests in the cycle that really comboed well with what the quest was trying to do. Yeah, yeah. So that would be I think I I think I've pretty much gotten everything for what I I I like about these ones. Um Yeah, I think I think that's good enough. Okay. So kicking it into the bad, we'll just we'll just dive right into it since we're discussing them anyway. Like the canceller die treacheries in the cycle are probably the worst that they are in the in any cycle in the game. Like, you've got your Sleeping Sentry and Orc Ambush in Road to Rivendell. Uh, Sleeping Sentry maybe is worse as a Shadow Effect, actually, than a Treachery card, but kind of the point remains. They're, they're just... Like, if you don't have a way to cancel it, you can possibly just lose the quest due to just one card. Uh, sudden Pitfall is another one in... Uh, you know, you can't some, cancel that one either, I don't think, right? And you can't, no. no. <laughs> so you, about that so you have to have like an early one or two cost ally to quest with that you can get out on turn one or else you just straight up lose a hero. What so is sudden? It is very <laughs> sudden, very sudden. So I think that's the first thing that I think probably just about any veteran player will think of when they think, like, tell me what the worst part about the Cause of Doom or Dweller Dolph cycle is from a quest design standpoint. It's probably those treachery cards. Like they're they're just too punitive for especially because when you get multiplayer, you start revealing them a lot. And it's mm-hmm. like, God, I, I have to bring Eleanor <laughs> because we ran out of test of wills two turns ago. Um so so that's definitely like one of the worst things mechanically from this cycle, I think. Yeah. If you are playing these and not running spirit. Oh. You're brave and probably foolish. Uh, probably. Because there's just too many times where, as you said... And then there's ones that are, like, not even that level of bad, but are... That will become backbreakers just based on, like, board state. So they're not, like, instant, like, killers, but... Uh, there are some backbreakers. But yeah, the cancel of treacheries, that's, that's the most frustrating thing, because there's... 
yeah, it's just kind of like no way around it. It's just like if they hit, you lose. <laughs> it's like this yep. is really annoying. Um, so yeah, I, that's a that's a that's a massive negative I think for this this one. And then uh, this also does have the I'll quickly do this one. Some of the encounter decks are kind of thick in this one too. So a little like huge. Yeah, well. some of them are over fifty cards. Yeah, which when so, we say like thirty five is kind of like a modern encounter deck. Like that's that's gigantic. Yeah. So same as the first one uh, for cycle. Uh, they didn't quite pare them down enough to make the quest good. But uh, I think my least favorite quest in this one is Long Dark because the locate tests are so busted. We talked we talked about how there's so few in there, and then yeah, having to discard cards from your hand to do them. And if you just can't pass them, and suddenly you have, you're in that, um, what I always call, it's like a catch-22, but I always think about the topspin corollary. It's like, in topspin, it's like, well, uh, it costs money to, like, add skills in that game. But it's like, okay, so I have no skills, so I can't win any <laughs> matches, so I can't get any money. But therefore, I have no money to add to my skills to get better. So yep. I'm just stuck in this endless treadmill of can't win, can't get any better that's what i feel about the locate test is like, okay so i just keep discarding cards from my hand to fail these locate tests and now i have no cards to play out of my hand and i can't do anything uh it, it's probably ooh, it'd be, i think it's probably the worst type of test in the game yes uh because they just didn't put an enough Basically, every single card that would have had to come in this encounter set would have needed to say pass on it because this is another one where the deck is too thick and all the cards that, of course, come with the um, the Lux aren't going to have it on it because it's not part of the, any of those quests. So, really just terrible quests. And the funny flip side to that is, yes, the locate tests are dumb and terrible, but with a deck that has, like, just decent enough willpower, you can kind of just quest through that quest without having to pass the locate test. Yeah. Like the, like the locations aren't as punitive from a threat standpoint. And then it's not like MMU where you can be stuck. You know, you need to get 20 victory points. So you need to get like six locations in the victory display. This one, you kind of just need to quest through a couple quest stages. So like, it's possible to get completely screwed and stuck if something terrible goes wrong on locate, but it's also possible to just... Quest through in three rounds and not interact with the quest mechanics at all, uh, which is, I think, also equally bad. Like you, you're never going to get a good game out of this quest. You're either going to be pissed off at the locate test, or you're going to beat it before <laughs> the quest does anything. Yeah, yep. Just yeah, the worst quest. I think you could make it. Uh, you could make a convincing argument. This is the worst quest in the game. It's uh, certainly uh, yeah. in the conversation. You know, it really is for sure. For sure. I think that um, there are also some interesting difficulty uh, discussions to be had with the quest in the cycle, where I think that like some of the quests, like Shadow and Flame, is pretty darn hard in progression mode, but I think some of the quests are just too easy for the player card pool that you have for them. Seventh level is one. Yep. I wish that was harder. Yeah. Yeah, Nightmare Seven level we we can't really take into account is an amazing quest. It it, it bumps yep. it up just hard enough to make it a fun deck tester, but it's pretty easy if you can quest through the first location in into the pit. That quest is really easy too. Mm -hmm. Long Dark's really easy. 
watcher kind of once you figure out that you have to deal with all these tentacle enemies it's not that hard either so like i don't know it for players that are looking for challenging quests this cycle doesn't really deliver on that that well i don't think um like i think road to rivendell and redhorn gate are probably in appropriate ish difficulty level but they're so frustrating mechanically sometimes with losing the willpower and having all those stupid treacheries that they're not the kind that you reach for. So you yeah. kind of end up left with like foundations and maybe shadow and flame with a tailored deck as quests that you can really go back and have decent replay value. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a seventh level too easy on my list. Cause it's like, that should be a really cool, fun quest. Like in theory it is, because there's like that stage where all the enemies, a bunch of enemies can come out, but then everything's it's so other stuff. It's so easy. It's just like ah, damn. It's so close to being fun because I think all the like ideas out there. It's just that like it doesn't have enough enough juice. As you, as you mentioned, the steroids of nightmare make it good because um, it gives it just that little bit extra it, that it needs. Um, that was my one that I specifically had written down is uh, too easy. I did forget a, a positive here. You mentioned it in uh, Real Driven. I do like the ambush keyword. I think that's a really cool yeah. idea that um, one of the things about this game is you can really plan things out very carefully and really think things through. Ambush kind of really throws a wrench into that because you just, it's just like, oh, okay, I guess I'm changing enemies. I wasn't ready for this. Uh, so I, I really like the ambush keyword because of the, the wrench it throws into. Um, that you normally try to play the game especially uh, in multiplayer yeah yes. where you do a lot more of that like optional engagement to get yeah. what you want you can't you're just like you're stuck with what you get yep which is something that they really didn't revisit too much yeah in the that, game. That, that's a mechanic i think I, a keyword that i wish they had brought back because i did i did think it was a pretty interesting idea um but another quest that i wasn't a big fan of i just you mentioned Redhorn Gate. This is what made me think about it. I, it's so limiting because of that. Uh, the one mountain that reduces everybody's willpower. And yeah. If people have zero willpower, they die. So it's like, so you have to have everybody has to have two basically, you know, or they eat it. And it's just like, oh my god, it's so frustrating because, uh, it really cuts out a lot of cards you can play. So I I find that one. Right, it's it's run annoying. dine or Faramir or yep. watch your because then they've got five copies, five copies of Snowstorm in that encounter deck, which reduce characters' willpower by one. Mm -hmm. Also, so that almost becomes a canceler die treachery in stage three of that quest, where Karadras is producing it by one already, and then yep, exactly it by one again. It's yeah, it, it it really limits the the card pool that you can use on it. It's not crazy difficult because it's pretty easy to build around that, but it's not super fun to build around it, I think. Right, there's allies and stuff that you just, or heroes yeah, you just can't even put, because it's like, oh. I know that they're going to die, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, I know, I know Boromir, as soon as we get to that stage, he gets minus one, he dies. So it's like, I gotta either put a willpower attachments in or something, it's like, it's kind of annoying to me. Um, yeah. For, for me, probably the biggest negative on this cycle is that... And I know we're not talking about them from a ranking standpoint, but they do exist. The sagas, particularly the second saga box, or the second half of the Fellowship oh, of the yeah. Ring saga box now, kind of revisits all of these quests 
in very similar mechanical ways and does them all better. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it so it's really hard for me to say that I like a lot of these quests, knowing that I'd much rather play Ringo South, Journey in the Dark, or uh, Breaking of the Fellowship, which kind of take a lot of the same mechanics and locales and enemies and these sorts of things and, and just improve upon them because they're later in the life cycle of the game and that Caleb was, you know, a better encounter designer than Lucas was, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think I have anything else to add here for what I didn't like. I thought I thought about like, oh, am I ever actually going to do the second one for the watcher thing? But I was like, you know what? I think because uh, I that's plus and minus two ways to do it. Am I ever going to do the second one? <laughs> no, it's like, cool that it exists. Yeah, it's cool enough that it's there that I don't think I would really ding it. So I was like, eh, yeah, not really worth mentioning. Um, I, I guess uh, with the Road to Rivendell, Arwen being so squishy is really annoying. Yeah, two willpower is tough. Or sorry, two hit points is all yeah. is tough, especially when there's multiple cards that are just trying to hurt her. It's just a crummy... At least Willidor had 20 hit points when you were escorting him around, <laughs> even if you maybe lost later because of it. Yeah. Yes. R one I think is kind of an annoying uh objective ally to play around because there's so much direct damage that I find her frustrating to have in the I will say around. on a positive, I, I think I think the positive on her is they gave her such an, a good exhaust oh, ability where you get a resource good. from it yeah. that it really does the risk reward I think that they played off there was good. Mm -hmm. I, I just think there was probably too much risk. Um, because it is fun being like, gosh, I could really use that resource, but she's she could die. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, it is interesting. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. So let's go ahead and put this on the list here. So currently, the number one best cycle in the game, or as you said, the worst cycle in the game, is the core set in Shadows of Mirkwood. We are going to enter Casa Doom. Dwarl Delph, and I will pitch that it is better than course set Shadows of Mirkwood. I'll right, will you dissent? Nope, I'll wholeheartedly agree. Okay. Uh, the, the highs are higher and the lows aren't as low, I don't think. It is much more consistent. Like, I don't think anything's amazing here, but uh, it's, it's definitely much better than the first cycle. Yes, I would say the fact that this has foundations of stone helps it a lot. And I also yes. think Watcher is still a good quest, even if you said, like you said, it's lunch got eaten. It's still decent. It's not it like is. it's it's better than pretty much every other quest in the first cycle. So I yes. think if you were to say, uh, you know, we talk, I always bring up sports, but, you know, yep. we do the, the thing where it's like, OK, how many <laughs> we're building a roster out of these two teams? Uh, you know, how many we picked before? you know, out of our starting five are coming from these two cycles. Like, okay, well, probably four coming from the second cycle and a one from the first cycle. Okay, yeah. That's yes, nice. definitely, yeah. It's like conflict at the Karak and Journey at the Anduin fighting for playing time with the Dorodolf <laughs> cycle, I think. Yeah, exactly. So I think just overall, everything's a cut above. So, yep. Uh, so, so far, as a reminder here, we have the best cycle is Kaza Doom and Dorodolf, and the second best cycle, or actually the worst cycle, because at the bottom, is Corset Shadows of Mirkwood. That is where we stand after two rounds here. So let's quickly take a break before we hit the last one. Today's episode is sponsored by Pierce and Cry. 
Hello, Mushnak here, owner of Mordor's premier tattoo and piercing establishment, Pearson Cry. While killing the free folk of Middle-earth, you want to look your best. We here at Pearson Cry have you covered. Nose rings? Got em. Eyebrow bling? We got that too. How about a skull attached to your skull? Yep, we can do all that without hurting your pocketbook. And heck, even if it is too expensive, just kill someone and take their money to pay for it. I'm a single orc mom who doesn't have time to get piercings. What should I do? No worries. Just bring the kiddos with you and let them play in the warg pit. Pearson Cry. We make you look pretty when you're attacking a city. Pearson Cry is not responsible for infections and missing children. Skulls not provided for fixment. Customers must provide a skull to be attached. Alright, so let's move on to the last cycle that we'll cover in this episode, which is the third cycle, Big Shock. It is the um, Heirs of Numenor slash Against the Shadow stuff here. And we've actually, we've, uh, the game has matured, Sean. I've got stuff to talk about here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this actually does have some things that uh, kind of tie together as a cohesive mechanic throughout this cycle. Uh, the first is the new addition of a different type of questing. And instead of questing only with your willpower, sometimes there's battle where you must quest with your attack strength and siege. Or you must quest with your defense. So, that is a reoccurring thing. There are some shadow card uh, chains and some trains here going on. So, uh, basically, the way it'll work is you flip the shadow over, it'll tell you to do more shadow cards. Yep. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's all I meant. <laughs> and then, the big one, I think, is that there are a lot of cards in this one that punish multi-sphere decks and push you towards playing monosphere decks which was a, um, we're not including the player cards as any sort of, like, um, type of thing in here, but that was reflected in the player cards as well. Uh, yeah. So that was, like, something that the quest and the player cards really tried to, like, push, develop, monster stuff. So that's kind of what's going on here. And in Peril's, or sorry, Peril and Peller Gear, this is the good old... Barroom brawl. So turn you got to turn to Patrick Swayze at Ro- in Roadhouse <laughs> <laughs> and uh, throw everybody out, right? Yeah, exactly. So you got the the Harbor Thugs and those sorts of things that start off with Alcaron's scroll that they've stolen from you, and then you know as you hit them and as they hit you, the scroll passes back and forth between control. And if you don't have it, you can possibly lose the quest and these sorts of things. And then there's battle questing on top of all this. So like you. You've got a lot of combat, and you have to quest with your combat. So it it really puts a lot of pressure on you having enough, you know, fighty stats on the table, which is uh, something that we really hadn't seen before. Yeah, it really changes the type of player decks you needed to play and think about. Um, a lot of favored decks couldn't handle some of these quests, so we'll get into that here. Uh the next one, oh, speaking of ones that a lot of, like, popular decks couldn't handle, jeez, <laughs> my god, Into Athelion, my god. Uh. Which is weird that they couldn't handle it, because it's only difficulty four um, quests, <laughs> according to the rulebook. So this one, this one combines both battle. Zero. 
<laughs> yeah, battle and siege questing in it. And it's got Kelador as the, the Gondor Ranger that starts in the staging area, and then other Ithilian Rangers in the encounter deck that pop up and can help you quest, which is nice. And if you keep him alive, you can you can actually possibly skip a quest stage, which is mm-hmm. kind of a interesting mechanic there. Uh, and then this one is the first one in the quest that has like that Master's Malice encounter set that is punitive towards uh, decks that aren't one sphere. All right. If people aren't familiar with Master's Malice, it's basically like you name one sphere. Every other character you have that doesn't match your name sphere takes damage. It's so annoying. Yeah, it's so brutal. stupid. Oh my god. Um, a quest I think is not so stupid though is Siege of Care Andros because uh, this has got a lot of things going on in it. So go ahead and tell me all the bajillion things happening here. Yeah, this one. This one has siege questing at the beginning as well, and then it's got the battleground locations that start in play. So you're you're on the island of Carandros trying to hold off this attack, um, and these locations can take damage. And when they take damage equal to their quest points, they they leave play. Uh, and you don't want that to happen because for every location that leaves play, you have to defeat another quest stage. Uh, so if you can possibly you know beat stage one without losing any of them you can jump all the way to stage five there and and win the quest pretty quickly and easily or you could have to go through five quest stages including a couple that use willpower questing when you've been siege questing so it can make it a lot harder so that's the biggest thing is those battleground locations but then it also has you know all of the the good old master's malice encounter set as well (laughs) it is yeah yeah yeah, the kind of cool thing about the battlegrounds in this one too is that um, you land on them, and then you have to go find your equipment first, and then the circle shrinks uh, as as you're fighting. Oh no, 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 that's the wrong battleground. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know. It's, what's interesting about them is that they have different um, quest points on them. So, like, one is only got like three, I think, and then I think is it like five and seven or something or eleven? Yeah, or they can like get that. up to a lot. Yep. So, like, um, it's kind of tricky because you want to try to go to these, like, ones that have very few first, because, like, obviously, uh, well, I shouldn't say obviously, because if you haven't played this, you don't understand. Like, they will take damage, as as you mentioned, and if they take damage, then they leave play. So you want to try to get the, the little ones out of the way first, but it is a little bit of a risk because if you get cards that damage them, it's like, oh, I just blew a whole turn traveling here, and then I got damaged and it was gone, you know? So that it's like, oh, then it kind of be like, well, then there's damage on the other ones now. So you have to kind of choose like, okay, am I going to risk trying to do the the weenie one first? Or am I just going to go straight to the mid-tier one and just be like, the first stage is going to have to die, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, the first one's going to have to die and I'll have to deal with it. So it does give you a little bit of uh, strategy planning, um, which I think is kind of interesting as well. Um, Definitely. And, you know, it's got... It's one of those quests that really has a synergistic encounter deck, too. You've got like your battering rams yeah. and siege rafts and stuff that do damage to locations. Then the big enemies that distract you from those ones. And yeah, very interestingly designed quest, I think. Yeah, I think this one does have the, the stupid weird treachery, though, that shuffles all the locations back in, right? Ooh, um, I would have to check the encounter deck for this one. I know that that is definitely a thing in this cycle. Um, I, I think yes, it's it is because it's one. in the yeah power of Mordor. It's in the same encounter set as Master's Malice. So yes, that could be really annoying. <laughs> it could be very annoying. 
that that's almost that's not quite uh cancel or die but it's like almost because <laughs> then you, they're just gone and it's like oh god well right right and then because <laughs> yeah you you remove the quest stages after you explore them as an active location so <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah the- no, see you later west <laughs> bank or whatever like okay well sweet thanks power of it- door yeah, yeah. So that could be really annoying in that one. Um, a quest I don't find very annoying, though, and I quite like is Steward's Fear. Um, yeah. So the the big hook for Steward's Fear is definitely the the plots of the villains. You know, you have a couple, I think three of each that you shuffle mm-hmm. before the game starts, and then you randomly get one plot and one villain that'll turn up. That's you know the mastermind behind all the terrible things going on in Minas Tirith. So yep. there, there's a lot of replayability built into the quest there because they they do combo very well with each other. You know, you can get, uh, you know, a plot that lowers your threat elimination level or whatever, and a villain that raises your threat like crazy, <laughs> um, and, and these sorts of things. So you can get some interesting combos that way. And then there's the underworld keyword. There's not a ton of enemies in the normal encounter deck, but the the underworld deck, which has you know, some interesting positive objectives for the players to help progress you along, but also has a lot of enemies in it that they get attached to locations, and when locations get explored, then they get revealed. So it's another kind kind of like the ambush keyword where it uh, is trying to surprise you with enemies at a different time in the quest fate or in the, the, the round structure than you normally get them. Right. What's kind of cool about the underworld is because is it's got this underworld deck is that sometimes you can find like a map which will yep. give you. So like the way you progress in this one is you have to explore a certain amount of locations and each time you do you get like a resource. Uh, that's one of the, the, the parts of advancing in quest stages. So like the map will add resources, but then you can also reveal lichens and vampires uh, as well. Uh, and then also it's got that stupid knife in the back card too. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, who hasn't been knifed in the back by Gandalf, the treachery card? Uh, um, yeah, not, yeah, what, very memorable. <laughs> Couple yep. encounter cards there. Yeah, and, and I know it's, it's not going to factor, we didn't mention this, art is obviously not going to factor, and I hope people understand that, but dude, the art in this one is sick as hell. Like, the freaking villain's, like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so cool. Uh, not cool. Shelly, you know what I like doing at a card game? Playing cards oh. so druidan so you... forest i can play all the cards that i like right <laughs> uh as long as they cost zero resources you are correct oh. <laughs> uh yeah the prowl keyword where you know you remove resources from the heroes you control is brutal and then this one is infamous for having so much archery just so much archery especially as you get into multiplayer like 20 archery is a perfectly reasonable normal amounts to be seeing in this quest. Um, then it kind of springs the surprise siege questing on you at the end uh, and has you attacking with your willpower. So really, the last quest stage really flips the stats of your characters on their head. You're questing with your defenders and attacking with your questers, and your attackers are kind of worthless, both of them. It's <laughs> um, uh, kind of an interesting thing, because you're, you're trying to you know talk with Gonbergon and Drewberry Drew and come to an agreement to let you get through the forest instead of killing more woeses. Yeah. I think we'll, I'll save discussion of this one for later. So, sure. uh, after, it's kind of funny, after this quest that is much maligned because everybody hates it, we have Encounter Amundin 
uh, one that people don't really talk a lot of smack about and explain why people kind of like this one. Yeah, they like it because you, you kind of get to feel like a hero in the you got the villager tokens that show up on locations when they enter play uh, that represent, you know, people that need to be saved from these buildings that are getting burnt and attacked by orcs. And then you've got your rescued villagers and your dead villagers. And I guess success is that you, you saved more than died, which isn't <laughs> a great success rate. I guess 500 would be an amazing batting average or three-point shooting percentage. So I guess it is good for dead villagers also, I suppose. But that's the main hook is, you know, they got a lot of things that are attacking and killing villagers, moving tokens. You have an objective ally in Lord Alcaron that can kind of heroically go and save the day because he's the hero of the cycle, I think, um, and, and all these sorts of things. And, and it is kind of like um, Rosgabel in that it has kind of a sudden, like on the last thing, he's like, well, now check the tokens. And see if you want or not. But you're a little bit more prepared for it, obviously, because it's it's written right on the objectives instead of the quest stage. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can you can prepare a little bit more for the the victory condition, which is nice. But yeah, and does have a boss enemy too, Gulat, but he's not really that. He's exciting. pretty wimpy as far as boss enemies go. But this is, I think, the first quest in the cycle that really. Oh no, I guess Carrie Andros does too. But this one really doles out the shadows. <laughs> sometimes also yeah. you can it's got like the orc arsonists and all the sort of encounter deck that just really love to end up with seven shadow cards on them for whatever reason exactly yep 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 um the seventh quest in this cycle is assault on osgiliath which you could cheese that's <laughs> that'll bring that up i guess but yeah yeah that's kind of one of the that's unfortunately kind of the thing the quest is most infamous for um, th- this carries on the trend that we saw in the first two cycles where one of the later APs really is trying to make locations the crux of the, the quest. Again, we're doing this. I know so many yeah. people do this. I, I do think this one did it much more successfully. Uh, this one, you have these these key Osgiliath locations that instead of being discarded or added to the victory display or whatever, after you explore them, you take control of them and have them in your play area. And it's possible you can lose control of them, like if you have to take undefended attacks is usually the way that you do it. But um, the win the win condition for the quest is that all of the locations that are in play are only in the player's play areas, so there aren't any in the staging area or active location. So kind of an interesting way of, of doing it, and then obviously some enemies and cards play around with with locations that you control and that sort of thing, but... Locations matter, and this one still had enemies in it, which uh, Long Dark and Emin Wheel didn't really do much with enemies. This one still had a lot of combat, despite the locations being mm-hmm. the driving force of the quest. Yeah, mechanically, this is kind of like a push and pull, give and take type of thing with the with you and the enemies, where you're trying to like each claim. It's almost like a in Splatoon, you know, where you're doing the. Uh, you're putting all of your ink all over the place and you're trying to turf war, that's what they call it, mm. type of thing. It's basically kind of what it is um, in this one here. So, uh, The next one, though, is Blood of Gondor, which I definitely remember what it does because the information is so clear, right? Nothing, <laughs> I, nothing nefarious, right, going on? <laughs> I think it's all hidden, isn't it? Oh, um, no. Yeah, the the <laughs> hidden the hidden cards in this one where you get these 
these cards face down in front of you, oftentimes you're given the choice. You can either reveal all of your hidden cards or take another hidden card, um, you know, which kind of gives you a little bit of that gambly feel because what hidden cards do is, you know, there will be times where you have to flip them over or can choose to flip them over, and anything that's an enemy is all of a sudden in play engaged with you, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where So it's possible to just get dumped on in this quest if, you, <laughs> if you're silly with your hidden card management because... Because eventually, when a quest stage advances, it forces you to flip them. So you can yep. think you're being pretty clever by like, I'll just take another hidden card. That way I don't have to deal with them. And then the quest forces you to deal with them, which I think, I like that part. Um, yep. I definitely lost the first time I played this quest because I was like, well, I'm not going to deal with these hidden cards at all. Uh, that was dumb. But that that's the main hook of the quest. It does have some battle and siege questing in it uh, and has the crazy shadow chain. <laughs> Uh, which is not fun because you can get sudden enemies that all of a sudden are attacking for eight thanks to the shadow card situation. So uh, very, very combat heavy quest as a result of all these like sudden ambush enemies coming at you. Yeah, this also has two objective allies, correct? Faramir and Elkron? I think it does, both. at least for a bit. Yeah, you lose them eventually, but... Okay. Yeah, Faramir's kind of cool because uh, you can exhaust them and like flip over a hidden card. If it's an enemy, you discard it, right? Uh, do three damage to it. Yep. Oh, three damage to it. Okay. Um, so that's kind of cool that he can kind of help you out. Um, he does have good stats, too, so it's kind of like, again, another risk-reward type of thing. Where it's like, oh, if I, if I do it and it works, awesome. But also it's like, oh, damn, I could have just had three attacks. Three right attack, there, yeah. And I just totally blew it, you know? Um, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah, the, 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 the strategy for this one is reveal, your, reveal all of your hidden cards as soon as you get them. That's the way I, I think so too. Just just be prepared to deal with more enemies than you think you need to, and hope your combat prowess pulls you through. Yeah. Um, the last quest in this one, uh, which we had a pretty good time playing one time, but is the Morgul Javail, right? <laughs> the, the what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yes. The the Morgul Vale. Um, yes, we did it. We did have a good time with this one at Con of the Rings, and this this is the boss battle. Uh, because we, we mentioned Mugash in Amon-Din, and he's really the only, like, big-named enemy. Like, there's the Black Numenorian in the previous quest, and I guess the plot villain. Oh, yeah, he's spear. cool. Yeah. But, but we didn't have quite the same, like, we've got lots of trolls, we're fighting the Balrog and the Watcher. Like, this cycle didn't have too much of that until this quest, which is basically just a series of three boss fights. Like, you don't need to place progress on the main quest, you just need to clear active locations so you don't thread out basically on the questing front and then it's just I'm going to do three different unique boss enemies that have different shticks that they do to you. You know, you fight Merzag and the Nazgul and Alcaron all in there, um, just back to back to back and then the other mechanic is that it's got the to the tower, which is how we lost it at Con of the Rings where Oh, yeah, we got uh, it, screwed. Yeah. It builds up tokens on it throughout the quest with, with a lot of, like, do this or add a token type choices. And if you get enough tokens, you lose. But oftentimes those choices are terrible. It's like, everybody draws an encounter card or add token. It's like, well, I can't deal with four more enemies, so I'm going to add a token. And if you ever get eight tokens on the tower, you lose. So interesting alternate loss condition, and then interesting that... It's one of the first quests where, like, questing doesn't really matter. Like, it's all combat yep. and then just enough questing to keep your head afloat, basically. Yeah. Uh, uh, did we 
lose it because I think did in like the first the first round or something like that we had to do a lot of where we couldn't fulfill it and we had to add to the tower or something. Exactly. Like yep. I we got a we got ton started. of early tokens in the tower, unfortunately. Yeah. Because then we got it under control, but it was just like pfft. we just got blitzed so fast I think it was it was over right away. Um this also has this interesting um bodyguard um yeah. thing where uh as you would imagine, a bodyguard is there to protect the boss. <laughs> so like yep. uh when you if you try to damage the boss, the bodyguards just eat it all up, which I think is um Annoying, let's be real, but also it's cool because it's like, yeah, that's what a freaking party guy is supposed to do, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Supposed to protect the, the Don. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of cool. Uh, let's go on straight here into the things we we like. I do like the addition of a new type of questing beyond just a willpower because I think it did shake up things. I know it can be difficult, but it's tough because, you know... Um, we discussed this when we did the road to rings thing is like, you know, it's like it's hard to kill enemies because you're dedicating all of your will or all of your attackers to questing now instead of attacking. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have this weird type of thing. But um, I like that it changes up because otherwise we, we do willpower questing like all the time. So I do like the idea that we ch- changed the way that your brain has to think about deck building and uh, strategy, because if it was always the same it would be a little bit boring. So, uh, is it always fun to do? No, <laughs> but, uh, I like, I like it. I like that we got something new. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and especially early in the life cycle of the game, it really was necessary to spice it up so that you weren't just like always running AON, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so that was nice at the very least. It, it really messed, mixed up some deck construction. Um, I personally like that it, this cycle really amped up the difficulty. Uh, I think, I think there can be some arguments and some very good arguments that it ramped it up too much, but I think I talked that, um, you know, just a couple minutes ago about Dweradelf, I think a lot of the quests felt too easy, especially with the card pool we have. And then the only quest, there's only two quests in the first cycle that, I really care to ever visit. So it was nice to have some things that were challenging. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm the type of player that I, especially in a cooperative game, I don't want to be winning all the time. Like, I don't think it's a game anymore if my win rate is like 80%. You don't like being light years ahead? <laughs> I don't. I like the Warriors <laughs> winning 80% of their Um, But I, I don't like doing it in my board games. Like, you know, if, if I beat my wife 90% of the time we played such and such competitive game, like eventually we're both going to get bored and hate it. And that's kind of how I feel about Lord of the Rings too. So I appreciate that, that this really bumped up the difficulty. Again, some of them are too difficult and and frustrating and stupidly difficult, which we'll talk about. But I, I like that there was a lot more thought that had to go into not just how you played, but also how you constructed your deck for a lot of these quests. Like you really had to give it a lot of thought. Like I have to battle quest early and I have to willpower quest late, and I have to survive a Mumak. Like, there was a lot more thought that went into it, which I think goes to my playstyle for how I like to build a quest for a specific deck, so it really speaks to me. So I really like the cycle for that reason. Okay. Um, hmm. I think I don't like it the way that I had to play where I just didn't have a lot of, like, 
I think I've mentioned I got into the game uh, at the end. I think Shadow and Flame had just released. So I was sure. playing this pretty concurrently. And yeah, these quests were insanely hard with that card pool. I like them now that we have more cards because you just have more yes. options. Yes, so I'm I, talking I, specifically now, not yeah, in progression yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's interesting because I hated them at the time because I thought they were way too hard. But now, because we went to, we played, I practiced a lot for the con and then we went to the con. And I was like, because I'm a big Monosphere player, I was like, guess what? I don't care about Master's Mouse, stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I found them a lot more fun now that I went back to them, and I, w- I kind of... Well, I'm better playing the game, of course, that, you mm-hmm. know, but also I just have more cards and options and stuff available to me. So I did enjoy them a lot more than I had remembered, which was mostly just hating them, except for Stuart Sphere and Amadin. <laughs> sure. I was like, ah, oh, these are actually... I had a lot more fun with them, and I didn't think they were as... Um, they were more like a fair difficulty than, like punishing which is what they were at the time but yeah 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 i know what you're saying but yeah it's kind of like a saying kind of a weird thing for me it's like i remember hating them then i went back and played them recently and i was like not as bad as i remember um (laughs) so uh i will say on a micro scale here i really like Stuart's sphere a lot yes uh there are a couple problems that i think i think you can get location locked in this one which is annoying um but assuming you don't get a location locked, which I think is actually true for every single quest, to be honest, um, it's probably like a very common way to lose. Uh, I very much like a lot of the mechanics in this one. Huge fan of the replayability with the plots and the villains. Um, because with the 3 and 3, you can just get a lot of different variation. Some of them, as you mentioned, affect your deck in different ways, which can be good or bad, depending on what you're playing. Uh, the Brigands are... Oh, it's got Pickpocket in it, so of course I love yep. it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I do quite enjoy the overall replayability of Steward Sphere. We'll see. We, it comes up later. There are more quests that kind of, like, uh, take this as inspiration. This is kind of like the first one like this, but I, I like it a lot. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it is interesting that I like Stuart's Sphere as much as I do, because I think a lot of the individual encounter cards I really don't like. You know, it's <laughs> got the treachery card that, like, makes you stop the quest phase. <laughs> and just like, oh, nope, yes, that's so we're stupid. just delaying you another round. Have fun. Uh, a lot of the enemies are really frustrating. We, like, ally hate driven. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of locations can get you location locked. And despite all of those kind of negative things, I still really like the quest for the reason you're saying. Like Underworld's cool. The the way you have to progress through the quest by doing locations instead of doing progress, I think feels more interesting than just putting an arbitrary number of progress on a quest card. Mm-hmm. It actually feels like, you know, I checked out these four locations trying to find out, you know, if there's you know, we're not talking theme and mechanics marrying, I suppose, but and then the, the replay factor is just very high. So very good, despite some of the encounter cards I don't, I don't think are designed super well. Yeah. Uh, the, the other quest in the cycle that I think stands out, and I saw you wrote here, so I know you agree, is Amon Din. Uh, I talked about the cycle being pretty punitive. It's nice that we got like a pretty easy quest in the middle of the cycle in Amon Din. Like, I think you and I would both agree that 
Yep. It's on the easier side of things for the game. Yep. And it's just fun. Like it the even as abstracted down as those silly rescued and dead villager tokens are, it's cool feeling like you're doing something like heroic as heroes, as opposed to just like I'm wandering through the wilderness slaughtering spiders and orcs. Um and I think they did that mechanic really well. It it, it is Difficult to lose that quest with a, a modern deck, I think, but even then, I think it's still something fun to go back and revisit from time to time just because of how well that villager's mechanic keyword works uh, and how snappy and short the quest is, too. Yep. Yeah. Uh, in, in and amongst a lot of quests that can be annoying and difficult and hard, Amundin was a nice fresh of, uh, breath, uh, ah, breath of fresh air. Uh, so yeah, enjoy it. Also, uh, the important canon quest for Cardboard of the Rings because it's the quest that uh, the mono, the Grey Wanderer mono Dory deck and the Bomber deck defeated. Oh, um, well, there you go. It well, let's, let's ignore whatever the third deck had in it. Uh, it doesn't really matter. It's a, <laughs> what's important is that those two decks did it and Bomber killed uh, Gulot. It doesn't matter that. Uh, some purple dwarf was on the table too. Who cares? <laughs> um, anything else positive you want to go over here? Uh, I just I think that mechanically, the, some of like the victory conditions and some of the things you did for the quest were just much more interesting than what we've seen before. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't all work perfectly, but you know, having the the rangers in the staging area that could help you bypass quest stages the battleground locations letting you maybe skip quest stages, having to just go through like a three health bars of bosses sort of thing. Like I think the 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 overall variance in what you were doing in all of the quests felt much higher uh, than the previous two cycles where there was just a lot of like just point A to point B, throw willpower down and kill enemies on the way. Uh, you were doing a lot more interesting things mid quest in this one which i which i think is pretty cool yeah i would say with the exception of maybe assault on a skillioth i think they're pretty memorable for things that they do like if you were to be mm-hmm. like just you know uh if i said the name of the quest and you had like two seconds to say something about it you'd be able to say something about it you would be yeah. like oh you know um uh, you'd, you'd blocking works to... <laughs> <laughs> yep you'd be able to at least give me something about them so they are they do have a lot more variety and memorability uh a little bit more memorable than I think some of those previous stuff we've talked about where we've just kind of been like, eh, you know, uh, I think yep. we spent more time talking in this one about a lot of the quests. So I would agree with that. As far as what we don't like, should we just do the big one right here first? I think. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it here. Uh, if you're not me and your two main decks that you play like 80% of the time are models, <laughs> uh, spirit model tactics deck, you hate these quests because it is pretty annoying that, uh, like things like Master's Malice and the Orc War Camp and all this crap uh, prevents you from playing multi-sphere decks and it really kind of limits you. It's like, you can do it. You can try it. You're not going to have fun. Uh, you know, it, it means you have to pack Test of Will and have to save it for Master's Malice and stuff like that. And yep. uh, then when Orc War Camp comes out, you still can't do anything because you didn't bring tactics. <laughs> <laughs> so you're still screwed. But you can't play any cards anymore. Uh, and then that stupid orc vanguard too, I think, or whatever. Um, so like, yep. yeah, this is this is the number one complaint people have about this quest is if you because you are a big like 
I like to play a lot of different types of decks person, so I'm sure you hate these for how much they hate it. Uh, I do like hate this, it. You know, I just rolled through it with the, the Mono Tactics Eagles deck, and I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Let's just, like, crush them all. It's like, okay, cool. Done. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, a lot of people hate it for this. Yeah, it's it's not as annoying as cancel or die treacheries like Sleeping Sentry and Orc Ambush, but they often still are cancel or die treacheries, which is just bad design. Uh, especially because now that the encounter decks started to get a little bit smaller, you started seeing these more often. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Master's Malice is just like that. That entire power of Mordor encounter set really might be my least favorite encounter set in the entire card pool because it's got that it's got the shuffle everything back and reveal all these <laughs> cards which means you're going to shuffle in four locations in an enemy and out of the five cards two of them were master's malice <laughs> um uh so yeah i just yeah I, I hate that encounter set very much yeah it is very limiting uh and re- like i said now we have so many cards, it's really easy to play Monosphere, but back then, it was just a, it was just a killer. And that was, that was one of the reasons why I hated these quests, because you just didn't have enough stuff to play Monosphere, and especially because I was trying to build two decks out of my card pool with my other guy I played with. It was so hard. Now, you know, uh, you know, the Mono Tactics Hiragon Eagles deck just waltzes in and is like, ah, I'm having a nice time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh yeah. No, I I understand that people hate it and uh I don't necessarily disagree that it's annoying. So, right. I think one of my big things and this is going to be something that really stood out to me from Con of the Rings where we played a lot of these quests last year is that we didn't talk about scaling in Dwerodelf too much and that's because I think Dwerodelf did player scaling pretty well across the board for the most part. Yeah. The the encounter decks for this cycle were oftentimes just so synergistic that three and four player is really, really, really hard. Uh especially in like a con or pickup game type environment. Be- not just because of these Masters Malice type things, but I mean you see so much more of this like Southron support dooming you out or what into Ithilien has everybody raise their threat by the amount of threat that's in the staging area or whatever that horrible treachery uh, is. Yeah, whatever that stupid thing is, yeah. And and all these surging and these big enemies and stuff that I I when I said I appreciated the difficulty of this cycle, I think I still do, but that's at like a one and two player count level. Three sure. and four, some of these quests like like I didn't beat into Athelion or Siege of Carandros at Con of the Rings, and I played them a couple times with a couple different groups of people. They're just so punishing, and a lot of it is because some of those treachery cards are just busted. And I mean, we we kind of house ruled, um, whatever the the Morgul Vale quest was to be able to to beat it, just so we could didn't have to use Monosphere decks, right? Oh yeah, um, yeah. You guys, you guys all did the Master's Malice. It does like, uh, like. Big damage to one character, I think it said. I didn't care because mm-hmm. I played Monosphere, so I was like, I'm playing it as is, everybody. <laughs> right, but so I think that multiplayer scaling for the cycle is just a bit of a bummer. Like, there's there's a lot of quests. Like, I still think that Siege of Carandros is pretty fun, and Intithelion can be a fun deck building puzzle. But God, I would never. I don't think I would ever play those quests or Blood of Gondor at four player ever again, or Druidan Forest. 
with all the archery. Like uh, the, the the scaling oh, yeah. is just broken. Yeah, Druidan would be awful because yeah, the archery just hits up so much. And Blood of Gondor, the problem is all the hidden cards. So just like you get every enemy and location in the deck as out. a hidden card, and then you just reveal four treacheries, three of them that have surge <laughs> every round, and it's just yep. yeah, it's it's yeah. brutal at multiplayer. Yeah, uh, can't necessarily disagree with that because I didn't have the best time playing some of them at uh, larger player accounts as well. Uh, something else I don't like, and I said I said this, I hate the Prowl keyword. Probably my least favorite keyword in the entire game. Wow. Because it's just uh, completely unfun. Because it you, it's just like you can't play anything and then you get, so it's like you have a choice of like, I don't play anything and then all my resources get stolen so I don't have bad things happen to me, but I didn't play anything. Or I play things, and then really bad stuff happens to me all the time. And it's like, mm-hmm. so you when you roll into that quest, it's just like, it just immediately hits you, and you're like, oh, this stupid-ass Prowl keyword. It's so annoying and tedious, and um, it's very prevalent, too. That's the other thing, too. It's not like, uh, you know, one out of every ten cards, because like every freaking enemy has Prowl. Every <laughs> damn treachery is doing Prowl. It's like, God damn it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you can't no, ever this, play anything. <laughs> this is not Lost Dark, where you can go the whole quest avoiding the locate keyword. Like, this is, you're getting prowled right in the face over and over again here. Oh, it's so dumb. It's so annoying. Uh, yeah, it's just very frustrating to play because it, it's not just that it forces you to really think about what type of deck you're playing. It's like, you just can't even play anything in your freaking deck half the time. Ugh, yeah. Yeah, I think that we'll kind of combine a, th- these two that we have on the list a little bit into a... There there are some cheesy ways to win these quests sort of things. Uh, I'll take the, the Peller Gear one where like, you don't oh, yeah. want to hold on to the scroll. Like, you're, you're actually punished <laughs> yeah. for holding on to it. Like, this may be a straying a little bit too much into mechanics theme where like you know the theme is you want to have the scroll so you can you know deliver it but the mechanics of the quest make it so that it's much better for an enemy to hold on to it for the most of the time i know so it's like here hang on to this while i kill all your f- <laughs> take it please like i i don't want to get a paper cut sort of situation um and then you mentioned the other one so you can you can take that one the uh, the assault on osgiliath bit yeah, Assault on Skills, back in the day, uh, you could take that one location where you would just, like, exhaust during the combat phase or whatever, just cheese it with Boromir. You can still kind of do that a little bit, but uh, I, I just find this one to be really... It's either going to be incredibly annoying, because you're going to, like, have one thing that happens to you, and you lose, like, four locations, and it's like, oh my god, it's stringing on forever. Or... Yeah, you're just trying to play it and bust it because you're trying to do all these tricks to basically, because um, you can't place progress on location in the staging area, but that they're not immune to player card effects, so you can like right. get get them out of there. So like, this is the famous one where I, I said Bilbo's plan Bilbo's playing plan. this quest, yep. and I was like, and you were like, oh my god, that's actually a good idea. <laughs> uh, probably the only time you've ever said that on Tardy Takes, and definitely the only time anybody's <laughs> ever said that about Bilbo's plan. <laughs> but yeah, it's like. I, I, yeah, this quest is uh, 
a little busted in terms of. Well, not only that, it can beat itself thanks to the power of Mordor shuffling away all the Osgiliath <laughs> yeah. locations and then revealing no more. And I, I, I think, you know, we I mentioned it earlier, but now that I've said it out loud again, God, that card is so broken. Like, <laughs> kind of dumb. I hate it. The, the fact that you can just take away all these cards and then dump a different set and hit you with all these new when reveals just out of the middle of nowhere it's so unfun <laughs> so unfun yeah yeah it's like if if it's like oh i had just like one location one enemy in the stage and it's like oh it's who not cares so but it's like yeah when it hits you for like five cards you're like oh god no <laughs> just like yep here's two masters malice here's the war camp it's just like oh good god yeah really stupid card um anything else you wanted to say about what you didn't like about uh well yeah here? i think one brief one just because we already went all in on the other two big uh things that the cycle does the shadow chaining is just really frustrating like i i kind of appreciate the idea like the previous cycle overwhelmed you with enemies this one overwhelms you with shadow cards but there's just really no counter for the shadow card nonsense like you either ran Hasty Stroke or Burning Brand, or Baragon could get killed by a two-attack enemy because it got six <laughs> shadows and a yeah. shadow that says one damage for each shadow card. And, I don't know, as you're playing the game, it, I honestly don't know that I lose to this that often, but I think the losses due to it are really memorable because it's just like, oh, the stupid, like, Arbalaster or whatever is attacking for three. Oh, no, it attacked for eight. Like... <laughs> What just yeah. happened here? Uh, it, it's, it's an unfun way to lose a hero, I think. Yeah, I, I find what's funny is with it, because there's so many that whiff, too, or they'll just, like, yeah. they'll reveal, like, uh, you'll flip one over, like, a deal, two additional shadow cards. You'll flip over one that's a blank, one that's deal, additional, two additional shadow cards. Like, okay, you flip over, one's a blank, deal, additional shadow card. Okay, what's well, blank? So it's like, it's like, I just revealed, like, ten shadow cards, and I didn't And nothing happened. It's yeah. like, this is it's kind of annoying, because it's, like, tedious, because it's, like, Damn it, you know? It's like, this is kind of stupid, but... Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, sometimes it can just be like... The one is, you got like eight on there, and then you reveal, like, it's plus one for each dealt shadow card. You're like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, use it for ten now. Didn't expect that, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it can get out of hand, but I, as you said, I don't think it's... it doesn't. It's not as much of a game-ender as, like... It isn't. The, treach the bad treacheries in this cycle are much worse than the bad shadows. So, like, yeah. still... We're still riding that train of some of the shadows are just really frustratingly dumb in this cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's, it's yeah. They're not, it's annoying, but it's not as bad as some of the stuff we've seen. So, yep. uh, let's go ahead and put it in the list here. All right. Um, I am not that, I don't feel very strongly about where this would go. It's definitely not the worst. No, it's, it's definitely, definitely better than Shadows of Merquin. That's definitely, that's still definitely the worst. Yep. Uh, I could see it being either above or below Dwerald. If I guess I would probably put it above it just because it's a bit more varied in its mechanics and I think a little bit more successful in what it wants to do. Even if I don't like what it's trying to do, you know, when I'm like, I don't like that it's, you know, prowling me. I don't like some of this other stuff, but I think it's more successful in actually executing what it wants to do. Yeah, I, but, I'm, I'm glad that you said that because I actually feel very strongly better than Dwerodelf. Okay. Um, I, I think that it just has enough interesting mechanics that make you play 
differently and build your decks differently that even though I would maybe say the lowest lows in this cycle are lower than Dwarred Elves, which didn't really have too many duds other than Long Dark. Uh, this one has, I think, a couple quests that are not as bad as Long Dark, but worse than the eight, number eight in Dwarred Elf. But mm-hmm. I think the fun factor for me is just a lot higher for, for building for and playing these quests overall. Yeah. I, I think the the main argument against it would be that so in uh, Kazaduma and Dwarred Elf, like Sleeping Century only shows up once. Mm-hmm. It airs against the Shadow We've complained about it so many times. Those cards show up a lot. Yes, the treachery, the the stupid treacheries are much more prevalent. (laughs) And then, like, multiple quests, we didn't even really talk about them, but, like, you know, Prowling Wargs got an errata, but it's still horrible. Uh, Southron support is terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, The the quest, the the one that killed us in Morgul Vale, where you add a token or each player reveals a card, is like a surge four and four player is horrific. Like, the, the, quantity of terrible treacheries is much higher in this cycle yeah they're everywhere uh, yeah and i think that would that would be like if you were really to attack it i think that would have to be it and the monosphere thing is probably the other one too but um yeah i do think it's stronger than because of dwell Elf. so I, I i'm good with it being currently the best cycle based on only quest mechanics ignoring theme and story uh and integration of theme or story into the mechanics of the quest. <laughs> or rock to sas <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easy to easy to say. Definitely won't ever forget that. So Never. Uh, I will recap us once again. Currently, the best is the heirs of Numenor against the Shadow. The second best is the Kaza Doom and Dwarf And the third best is or last, however you want to say it here, is the Corset and Shadows of Mirkwood. Mm-hmm. That is where we stand at the end of this episode. I think uh, so far, Shellen, I would say we haven't really disagreed about much. <laughs> we have not, but I have a feeling that next episode is going to get a little spicy. Just, just knowing how I personally do these things, I feel like I'm an outlier for a couple of these cycles. So I, I think we might disagree more next time around. Yeah, these ones, I, I said it, whichever one I said it in, uh, I think maybe the first one I talked about, like, a little bit immature in its, its design. Mm-hmm. So I think, like, there's a clear, the game is getting better. Yes. You know, type of uh, progression. So, and that is the order that they currently are in, right? Is it yep. as, as the game got better, as things were figured out. But I think we're going to hit a point where, like, okay, the game is kind of matured and reached uh, maybe not what you would call peak, depending on what you say, but everything is good now, right? Whereas I think at the beginning, it's like, not everything is good. I think we're going right. to get to a point where, um, yeah, things are going to have some weaknesses, but they're not going to be, we're not looking at it and be like, wow, uh, r- r- really no reason to ever want to play this again. So I don't mm-hmm. think we're going to have that coming up anymore. So, um, I'm currently happy with the list. Are you? I'm very happy with the list. Yes. All right. So we will see each other and the listeners on the next episode. And that will be the next three cycle uh, cycles of the game. So we are going to be looking at 
the voice of Isengard and Ringmaker, Lost Realm and Angmar, and Greyhaven's a Dream Chaser. Uh, so we're going to have two of the repack cycles. But, of course, we're not going to be talking about anything with the yeah, repacked will. stuff, so it doesn't matter, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so look forward to that on the next episode.